My name is Terry Lancaster. I'm a marketing strategist. I'm an author. uh, I'm a trainer. And and I'm a storyteller. I help businesses tell their story better. Uh, And and people ask, well, what what, what does that mean? And it's pretty simple. Everything has words. I put the words to uh, Kelly was talking about the graphic design. I'm not much of a graphic designer, but there's always words that have to go with it. So I write blog posts. I write radio and television spots. I write the copy for for websites uh, or write direct mail pieces. Uh, But I help businesses tell their story better. 90% of the work I do is in the car business. And uh, I wrote the book, How to Sell More Cars. So I'd love an introduction to a car dealer. Uh, But I also work in several industries because everyone needs to tell their story. So just this week, yesterday, actually at one o'clock this morning, I was writing a landing page for a crawl space cleaning company in San Francisco. And this afternoon, I'm going to be meeting with a mortgage broker in Georgia to design a direct mail piece. So we got lots of things going on, mostly in the automotive industry, but anything that has to do with marketing, uh, training, and, uh, and and putting words on paper. I um, I got my start in all this. I tell everyone I'm an ac- accidental salesperson. I was a disc jockey in in uh, when I, when I was in college, and I realized very quickly that disc jockeys uh, they were they were pseudo famous, but they made almost no money. Um, and so when I when I graduated from college, I went into radio sales, and that's been uh, more than a few years ago. So I was selling radio advertising uh, in Mississippi. I had a lot of friends in the television industry, and that's when I first started hearing the name Jim Doyle from Jim Doyle and Associates. They were the preeminent training company, still are preeminent training company in the television industry. And I've got I've got uncles. Who say that every man, uh, every and of course they're, 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 that's probably everyone, but specifically every man should join the army straight out of college because that that's what that that's what makes a man out of you. Uh, I believe every person should spend at least a year or two selling radio or television advertising. It's going it, it it'll definitely put hair on your chest. It, it if you can sell radio and television advertising, it's just smoke. There's no there there. Uh, but it makes you really, it really hones your skills. And I, I owe a lot of what I do to being able to sell radio advertising. And Jim Doyle has been selling television advertising for half a century and training the leaders in the television industry for the last 30 years. And he just retired a few years ago after this amazing career. And uh, uh, he's not that great a golfer, he tells me. So he got a little bored and decided to uh, a new project. I'm going to interview a bazillion great salespeople and write a book about it. So how's that for a retirement project? That doesn't doesn't sound like he wrapped it up. But he, he just published the book this year. It's Selling with a Servant Heart. And uh, Jim is going to tell us today what he learned by talking to the best salespeople in the United States of America. Jim, how are you, buddy? I'm good, man. What a, what a privilege to be here. Uh, pretty much what you can take away from that uh, introduction are two things. One, that I'm old. 50 years of making sales calls, and the second that I suck at golf. And uh, sadly, uh, both of those things are true, which is really, which is really unfortunate. And, uh, uh, but Terry's so right. Uh, the way you described it about uh, entering the sales uh, from being on the air, uh, we figured that most people uh, do that when they, uh, when they decide as an on-air talent that they want to drive a car built in the same decade they're living in. So, <laughs> Oh yeah, I think I'll get into sales. That seems like that might 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 have a chance. So, so um, you know, the the folks on on this screen have been uh, exposed to sales and sales training for uh, many of you for a long time, and uh, uh, you know that 
if you Google today the books that uh, are sales books, they have titles like Close and Pitch and Win and Persuade. Um, you know, if I say to a group, even of 20 and 30-year-old salespeople, close early and they all can say close often. A, B, C, always be uh, closing. You know, uh, uh, I remember as a brand new sales manager, newer, newer sales manager, taking my team down to uh, uh, the Heinz Auditorium is the big uh, convention center area in Boston, Massachusetts. We have this team from, from Maine. So I, uh, I bring our team down for a day of sales training. There's salespeople from hundreds of different industries that are sitting in this uh, workshop. And on the stage, there's a guy who's one of the gurus of his day. Uh, he came out of the insurance business. And what was he talking about? He was talking what uh, about what every trainer would talk about in those days. You've got to close. You've got to ask for the order. And he came out of the insurance business and he said, uh, I remember it so well. He said, he said, you know, here's what I do. If I have a young couple and they've got a couple of kids bouncing around, uh, he said, and I'm trying to sell them insurance. He said, I'll tell them a story. I'll tell them a story about another young couple. And just like you, they had a couple of precious, beautiful kids. And unfortunately, I was unable to sell them insurance that night. And how did I feel not six weeks later when I read that those, those, those babies' parents, those precious babies' parents were killed in a tragic car accident? And if they were here tonight, what do you think they'd advise you to do? And he said, that's what I call the back the hearse up to the door and let them smell the carnations close. <laughs> and I, I hope that you all don't think lesser of me for this, but I'm sitting there in that audience going, damn, that's good. <laughs> how, how do you think, how can I do that in TV, man? You know, well, you didn't buy our advertising, your business closed. So, but uh, uh, 30 years ago, 31 years ago, I started on this adventure of, of working with uh, sales organizations in the broadcasting business and uh, had a, just a wonderful run. We built a, a continuing a company that, uh, you know, is 25 employees and we make uh, probably 4,000 sales calls a year on real live clients. We, we, uh, and what I learned was that uh, the people who were the most successful didn't sell that way at all. And so I got this idea in uh, my quiet time, uh, literally in a quiet time one morning uh, to, um, let me see if I can't, whoops, let me go over here. Um, and um, I got this idea to, uh, to do this book. I got the title in, in some quiet time, some early morning uh, meditation time. And then um, uh, about a month later, I got what turned out to be the killer idea. And I went uh, around and, and just... I wanted to do more than just media people. And so I did uh, close to, I think we had 35 different interviews in 20 different industries. Some of the most extraordinary salespeople that I have ever met in my life. But the one thing that characterized all of them were they were the highest, the highest of high achievers. And, um, Dave Wall is this guy that I, I met. He was referred by a former client of mine. And what I would do is I'd call people and I'd say, hey, this is the title of the book. Who do you who does that make you think of? And they would give me these names. Dave works in the RV business and he probably sells more dollar volume just as one individual than 90 percent of the RV dealers in the America do. I mean, that's how substantial he is. 
Um, he sells these big coaches, you know, um, sold mostly to entrepreneurs and former corporate executives. They'll, they'll be up to $2 million in value. 60% of his business is repeat and 30% of his business is referral. You know, if we're ever coaching brand new salespeople, you know, if we can get that low a churn, if we can have that high of repeat business, you start every year really, you know, just on the 30-yard line of a 100-yard race. You've got such a head start. Um, and uh, his customers absolutely rave about this guy. By the way, almost all of us um, today in business are in some form where we're at risk of being a commodity. His coaches are almost are, are half a million dollars more expensive than his nearest competitor. So he has to uh, build a relationship that, that builds unbelievable loyalty. Lisa Brooks Morris, uh, 4,500 realtors in Sarasota County, Florida, where I live. I don't know where Kelly is, but uh, uh, that's our, uh, our, our little slice of Florida. Lisa was number six in volume in 2020. She did over $80 million. If you're no realtors, you know, that's a big, big number. $115 million in 2021. Uh, Jeff Wagner was a guy that I was introduced to through a former client of mine. Um, in the mortgage broker business, as some of you know, he does, uh, the top broker will do like six to eight mortgages a, a month. Jeff does 60. So that's the kind of level that we were, we're talking about. So out of that, we, we came up with some ideas that became the genesis of this book, uh, Selling with a Servant Heart, that came out in December and has done uh, wonderfully, wonderfully well. Thank you. Um, so I thought I'd just take a second and talk a little bit about some things, share one of the lessons, and then um, open it up for questions. Terry, I said to Terry, do you want me to be brilliant or brief? He said brief. So <laughs> I know the rules and the ground rules here. So uh, so what is Servant Heart uh, Selling? Um, I think it is an obsession with the customer outcome. Um, so this is way beyond win-win. You know, I, I, I quite thank, frankly would have liked to have considered myself a win-win seller. You know, I think I, I wanted to focus on how the other person would win. A servant heart seller is, is actually so much more focused on the customer win, even if it means they don't win immediately. In fact, their motto almost becomes, if it's good for the customer, they know it will ultimately be good for them. So they're not afraid to take a short-term, what might seem like a, a, a step back from a, from a deal in order for the long-term benefit of the customer, because they have such a high level of confidence that, that that's going to win. And so once you get to that level of obsession, it changes almost everything about the sales process. We can talk about that in the, the question period, um, but it also changes a whole lot more. Uh, Brian Richmond um, is the uh, owner, one of the owners of a family-owned insurance agency, uh, the Richmond Agency up in uh, Michigan. Um, now, yeah. probably a lot of us have an insurance agency that we call at my insurance agency. Um, when I call up the insurance agency, I call Lois. And Lois is the woman who changes my policy. Uh, she's the one who will add, you know, a new car or take off a car that we've sold, um, makes uh, answer some questions about what coverage we might have two, three, two, two to three days before the hurricane comes. And so we, we talk to Lois and every insurance agency in America uh, that I've ever dealt with my entire life, uh, there's a Lois. Well, Brian 
is a servant heart seller. Brian is focused on obsessed with outcomes. So he changes the process. He takes all the Loises in his agency and divides them into two teams. He's got a red team and a green team. Uh, the red team handles the same kinds of stuff that Lois has always handled. So there's a person that answer your questions, uh, add your car. But the green team, they're looking at your policy maybe a month, maybe six weeks before it comes up for renewal. And they're reaching out to you proactively. And they're saying to you, hey, your homeowners is coming up. And we think there's a way that we can get the same level of coverage and actually reduce your premium by about 15%. Can we outline that? I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I've been buying insurance, you know, seems like forever. And half the time, I've never heard from the agent before, only when I proactively call them. How are you going to feel if you get a call from somebody on his team about that organization's commitment to you as a customer? Uh, you know, you talk about a commodity business. Look at the amount of radio and TV ads for Geico, Progressive, State Farm, Allstate. Um, and here's an independent agent growing significantly because what is he doing is he's obsessed by customer outcomes. Probably the motto uh, of this, Oscar Mijeja, uh, is the highest paid advertising salesperson I've ever met. Um, sells for Univision in Dallas. Um, and uh, uh, his says, my motto is I work for them. I work for the customer. So I took all these interviews and uh, um, uh, distilled them into 10 lessons uh, on the path to joy and increased income. And I really want to emphasize that the joy piece is important. Selling doesn't have to be hard. Uh, these people have such extraordinary joy in what they do, uh, feeling of of. of reward that they get. And it's not just from their financial success. Uh, they truly want to make a difference. They truly are committed to customers. You know, when Lisa uh, was talking about this, she said, when I made the bold move from selling uh, to servicing, it was uh, transformational. After 20 years of selling, I've fallen in love with what I do. Uh, one of the things that's made uh, been a blessing about the book to me is the number of people who have bought it for their kids. And because their kids are beginning sales careers, and what they're trying to do is, is help their kids to fall in love with what we, what we do. Because when selling is done correctly, um, it's magical. Um, and, and it has so much opportunity to bring us, uh, bring us joy. So um, I, I hope we'll have an opportunity to talk about um, a bunch of the lessons uh, in, in the, uh, the Q&A time. Uh, uh, I, I, I worked on 10. I worked for them, played the long game ask a million questions, teach, don't sell, which is a way to think about how you make a presentation, uh, closing hard, a quick path to success, uh, to failure, uh, the responsibility of trust, the customer is not always uh, right, above and beyond selling, never stop learning, and then refuse to be a commodity. Um, and uh, I want to talk about just one of those uh, for just a second um, uh, with this group today, because uh, I've gotten a personal lesson about this just in the last couple of, couple of weeks. Um, you know, um, I have this amazing um, dinner uh, a few years ago with a guy named Stu Hansen. His dealerships are now owned by Ken Garf. Um, I was excited to have this dinner. I was speaking in Des Moines, and um, they were they, want, they wanted to introduce me or ask me to have dinner with uh, Stu. And at the time I had dinner with Stu, he was like the number one or number two Dodge dealer in America 
in, in Des Moines. And so I, I love hanging around with successful people. I love stealing ideas from successful people. I, I got a whole book of that uh, kind of stuff. And uh, I was excited about doing this. Uh, at dinner, Stu says to me, uh, we get a private moment away from the rest of the group. And he says he's just turned down an offer for his dealerships for some outrageously monstrous you know, amount of money, you know, multiple tens of millions of, of, of dollars. And we talk a little bit about how hard that decision is and the family dynamics and that. So we have a wonderful dinner. 7.30 the next morning, I'm doing a presentation for uh, car dealers. Who's in the front row at 7.30 the next morning? Who is taking more notes than anyone in the room? Who's the first person to come up to me after that session's over with a question about something I said that he wanted to clarify? Who asked me to do a phone call with his ad agency because there was one thing he thought that I was on to that they might need to incorporate in what they were doing? Um, and it just taught me so much. I have never met a successful person who isn't a lifelong learner. I said I just got a personal zap a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Terry and I know each other a little bit from that uh, from the car dealer business that we both floated around for a long time. Terry way more than I did. Uh, I, I probably 15 years ago would have told you that I probably knew more than anybody in media and the media side about marketing for car dealers than anyone in America. Uh, two weeks ago, I um, watched the presentation from somebody who's talking about car dealer marketing, and I realized that if a car dealer took advice from me today, it would be dangerous <laughs> because I've gotten out of touch with that. You know, uh, I taught um, a management program at the University of Notre Dame and a professor who would teach said, had a great line. He said, if we fail to change, the world goes on. We just become increasingly irrelevant. If we fail to change, the world goes on. We just become increasingly irrelevant. And I think, especially as we've had success, and we've had, um, uh, you know, some of the benefits of success. Um, we've got to be really, really careful to keep learning and keep growing and keep trying to be better at our craft, but better at understanding our product. Um, Charlie Truman Stones uh, is a name that some of you might know. He was the greatest motivational speaker of all time, but uh, uh, was a colleague of mine in the National Speakers Association. He said, five years from today, you'll be the same person you are today, except for the books you read and the people you meet. Or I might add today, the podcast you attend or the Zoom calls you come into. We can't stay the same today. Uh, I've been coaching sales managers for the last few years. But if you have a salesperson who's a C today, as your business gets harder and harder and harder, they're a D minus in two years. Well, it's the same thing for those of us who think we're A's or A minuses. If I don't change and continue to grow, I'm a C plus in two years. And as the businesses get harder and harder, all of the spaces that we work in get more challenging. We've got to continue um, to grow. So as Henry VIII used to say to each of his wives, I, I won't keep you much longer. <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to get into the, uh, the question. That was right before he uh, sent them to the Tower Bridge to be beheaded. And Terry uh, said that we, we weren't able to do that on Zoom today. <laughs> um, you know, um, when I wrote this book, at first I thought I was written a sales book. But as I got past this and and had so many wonderful conversations with people, I realized that this is a book that's not just about sales, it's really about, about life. You know, um, a friend of mine has a great line that I've adopted as my own. She says, life gives to the givers and takes from the takers. The universe has a perfect accounting system. Uh, 
Um, and, you know, whether or not that's with my kids, um, with my wife, um, who is amazed that I uh, um, wrote a book that had acute listening in it and wonders if I read that chapter uh, or need to read it again. One of the things that I have uh, come to understand from this privilege of meeting all these wonderful sailors is if you want to sell more, the way to do it is serve more. So I'm excited for the question time. And Terry, I thank you again for, uh, oh, by the way, and I'd like being part of any organization that the highlight of the year is the dirty Christmas party. I've decided that, uh, that, that I'm going to move to Nashville and join. So thank you. <laughs> oh, it, 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 it is a hoot. Jim, th- thank you so much. And, you know, I, 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 I was looking at your lessons that you had there and you had that the closing is, is such as, you know, don't close, you know, and, and we get that a lot, the, the close early, close often, and I'll always be closing. But I, I had a chance to interview Bob Burke, who wrote The Go-Giver. And I, Bob I told me, if you have to resort to ninja closing and secret word tracks to convince people to buy something that they don't want to buy, that's not sales. That's criminal fraud. You, 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 it's, it, it's, we, so we've got a lot, of, a lot of the trainers have it completely backwards. You know, and I think I think we we need all of us who have the opportunity to mentor people who are coming up, whether it's just people that we know in the community or people who work for us. We every one of the people I interviewed is acutely aware of the point at which they ask for commitment. So they're they're not, and, and I always say that you know the first word in the title of the book is selling. I mean, this is a selling book. It's not a book like la da 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 da. It's 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 a book about selling. But what Servant Heart Sellers have done, because they're obsessed with customer results, they are so uh, driven to find out what the issues are that the customer face. They're so uh, driven to really understand the business issues behind the decision that by the time they get to the point of asking for the order, it's very assumptive and very, um, very relaxed. Should be automatic. It should just happen. (laughs) Well, I think especially, you know, one of the lessons in the book that, that uh, I probably got clear on as I, as I did the interviews was this idea of, of teach, don't sell. So if I'm working with a customer and I'm talking about how my product is going to work, not why it's going to be good, here's how it's going to work for you. Uh, Terry, you might remember uh, it, there was a guy in the radio business. I, I owned a radio station at, at one point. Um, in fact, somebody said, how do you get to be a sales trainer? And I said, the format change didn't work. The partnership blew up and I lost a million dollars. You too can be a sales <laughs> trainer, so, so, which, is, which is actually true. Uh, but uh, during that period of time, uh, my Arbitron salesman, Arbitron was the ratings company back in the day uh, uh, for radio ratings. My, uh, my Arbitron salesperson was a guy named Pierre Bouvard. And I featured Pierre in the book because of all the people who've ever called on me, he most most represented the concepts of of servant heart selling. When they had a new product, and they had new products because it was their way of getting an ad on sale. So they would come up with some some scheme. And I'm broke. I mean, my business is struggling. We're, you know, I'm, uh, like many of you can identify with, I'm, I'm, so surreptitiously checking the mail every day to see how many checks have come in, you know. So, so I'm scared and broke. And 
damn, if he didn't figure out a way to show me that product and say, this is how you could use this to position your station in a way that would make it look like we actually had listeners uh, for an <laughs> advertiser. And, and I, he would walk out with me just adding to that contract over and over and over again because he was showing me how it worked, not why we needed to buy it. And uh, so I think if you combine uh, a lot of time in the diagnosis process with uh, uh, why selling as opposed to how selling, or how selling as opposed to why selling, um, then closing becomes a really easy piece. But I'm, I think I'm, from the nods, I think I'm speaking to the choir a little bit here. <laughs> well, we, uh, I'm, I'm going to open it up to questions in just a second, but I've got, I've got one more for you. The, uh, you you've got the 10 lessons, and you, and you talked about the, uh, the never stop learning. But if you, had, if you had to just pick one, if you had to write a new book and you only got one lesson to write it on, Jim, what would it be? So the, the lesson that is foundational to Sermon Heart Selling, probably the biggest difference between Sermon Heart Sellers and many of the rest of us who sell would be um, all in the lesson about ask a million questions. Um, uh, and the title of that uh, lesson comes from, I have a spiritual advisor, coach, mentor who has a way of asking me questions that I can't answer, like, what do I want to do when I grow up or and things like that. And one day he said, he said, why do you think you've been successful? And it was the only question I think probably in 20 years of his help that I answered right away. I said, I think I've been successful because I asked a million questions. Um, and so the reason that I say it's foundational is because if you're obsessed with the customer outcome, you've got to know what the business issues are. The reason that I say that it's rare, um, so it's probably, so diagnosis is probably the most taught skill in all of sales training. I mean, almost every sales seminar teaches it. And we taught it in our sessions you know, forever, continue to. But I'd say it's the most taught and least used. Because what happens when we actually get in front of a customer is our diagnosis calls tend to be two or three questions, and then we move to questions that are more about our agenda than theirs. Like, how's your business? How's the market? What are you doing for advertising? Rather than really, and we think we're doing diagnosis, but typically we're asking questions that are almost salesy within two minutes. And that's, by the way, uh, we did a workshop where we'd prove that to people and 80% of our groups would be asking questions within two minutes that were more product focused rather than business focused. So a lot of people think they do diagnosis because they're asking questions, but they're not uh, asking enough. Uh, there were two parts of that chapter um, that are important, I think, probably just to riff on for just a second. Number one was um, uh, the winged days are over. Um, I can't wing it anymore about asking questions, which is sad because I was quite good at it. <laughs> I really loved doing it. But today, I think we've got to be prepared with questions before we go in. 90% uh, of the questions I used to teach when I was first doing sales training um, as a salesperson, you better know before you walk in today because all of that information is available online. So you better be you better be prepared. But then um, a, a Nashville uh, resident, uh, Rory Vaden, who's uh, a guy that I just admire a great deal and who many of you would know, um, Rory talked about the concept of acute listening. So um, most of us listen with the next question in mind. Rory talks about listening as if you could hear a pin drop in the room, being so focused on the answer 
that you really completely hear what they're going to say. Um, uh, if you want a quick trick, uh, a friend of mine who produced a 60 Minutes kind of show taught me, he said, when we were interviewing a bad guy, we always got the most compelling sound when we didn't respond after they answered the question. We would ask the question, they would respond, and if we didn't immediately ask the next question, they would keep talking. And that's when we got sometimes the most honest, most really heartfelt answers out of an interview subject. It's the same thing for us in sales. We, we're so driven to want to respond right away that I think we lose the opportunity to really hear in depth what's going on. So acute listening, being prepared, and ask a million questions, we're all part of the same uh, chapter. And, and I think uh, I think part of the part of the gets lost in that I, I was trained the same thing it was called consultant selling when I, when I first got in, in, into radio you got to go in you got I got to ask these questions but here I am I'm a 21 year old kid from 200 miles away and I go into the car dealership and start asking questions and he has no desire to talk to or be interested in me so a big part of asking the right questions is you've got to earn the right to ask the questions you've got to earn the right to know about their business by building the relationship, by being there, by, by being trustworthy and, uh, and, and honest and open. So I think a lot of that, even, even asking the right question boils down to building the relationship. Yeah, but I, but I think that uh, I used to say people buy from people they like. For years, I would say that in seminars. I love that. Today, I said they buy from people they trust. Trust. So what builds trust? Uh, I don't have to know you for five hours if I come in and I have learned about your business. If I come in and I say, and, and by the way, if I get credit for having done the research. So one of the things that we teach salespeople to do is I'll say, you know, as I was preparing for this meeting, one of the things I did was I looked at your website and I found out about the dirty Christmas party. And so, so or uh, how often do you do that? I mean, if, if I get credit in the way I ask the questions, then I can immediately have them say, uh, boy, that person's different than the parade of mediocrity that we've had. That, that's the thing we don't, that we don't seem to realize is that the people who come in before you and the people who come in after you are likely to be pretty average and likely to not be prepared. And if you just do a little bit more, um, that's where the impact becomes uh, significant. It's not about doing a lot more. I mean, one of the things I think I've learned about success is they just are more consistent about doing things better. You know, but all of us don't do it successfully every time. We don't, we're not perfect all the time. They just do it a little bit more, a little more often. Yeah. A little one, one, one percent is a big, is a big deal. So we've got about, uh, about 15, 20 minutes left that we can ask, uh, ask Jim, ask around. So, uh, I mean, like everyone's nodding in ahead. Uh, there, there are, I don't see any rookies in the, in the room today. So, uh, we've, we've mostly been around the block, but, uh, let, let's, let's hear some questions. Let, let, is that, who is who that, has questions for Jim? Comment. That's continuing the, that's continuing the charm offensive of, uh, of, uh, he's old and he sucks at golf. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I've, I've got a question for you, Jim, and this is not my situation, but it, it just occurs to me. I agree 100% with everything that you're saying. I'm thinking about these new salespeople that come in. Somebody I was talking with two or three days ago had been in a sales situation to where the manager expected them to make, I, I, if I remember correctly, it was 500 contacts a week. 
Yeah, and you do the math on that. If you're spending five minutes doing a little bit of research on somebody and then reaching out, you're spending more than 41 hours a week just making cold calls. What kind of advice would you have for somebody who's coming into the business and maybe their manager is not on board with this? Is their only option to find somewhere else to work? Is there something they can do within that? What would be your advice in that situation? Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And sadly, it's not the first time I've heard the question. Um, first of all, it's unrealistic, so they're going to lie. <laughs> they're not going to be able to, to do that because it's impossible to, to, to do. Um, I think, uh, and you never hate to say to somebody, you know, go find another job. But what my fear is, Don, is that they're going to get so burned out on this business and think that this is what selling is about and lose an opportunity. We, we lose a lot of unbelievably talented people in, in sales because they can't find any joy. What's the joy in that? So I think they've either got to find some success quickly, because if you find success quickly enough, your manager starts, there are different rules for stars. Or, or you've got to decide, you know what, maybe this is not going to be the approach that's going to bring me any joy. And can I get my resume cleaned up and, and, and do that? Um, you know, um, it, that's a tough, that's a tough, tough, tough situation because there's, there's no joy to that. Um, I don't know about any of you guys. I think I'd last about an hour um, in, in, in that. And yet that part of that is that top down command and control. Um, one of the interviews guys we interviewed for the book was Justin Gurney. He's got the job. He had the job that I thought was the, one of the coolest jobs of people we interviewed. He oversaw ticket sales for all the NBA teams. His job was to find best practices and share them with all the other teams. And I'm hoping he was, you know, I was thinking maybe he could have gotten me Celtics tickets. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, so anyway, he, he said, he, he was saying, so the whole way that the, uh, that the NBA and all these sports teams sell, you guys have gotten the calls, you know, it's a telemarketing thing. And now if you open their email, you're going to get a call faster. So they use technology to do that. And it's a smile when you dial business. He said what he found, though, was in every team, there was an outlier. And the outlier focused on building relationships. The outlier focused on why would you use this suite? What kind of entertaining do you do? How big are your customers? How significant an investment do they make with you um, that would cause them to be invited to the suite? And he said, who are the high performers every single time? So he goes to the New Jersey Devils to run uh, ticket sales and their high luxury box sales for them. And he tried to find a team of outliers. And then the pandemic hits and the building gets shut down and they ain't playing no games. And, they're, and, and his team had success at renewing at suites and renewing these high price packages in a building that was closed for a team that wasn't playing. Now, the hard thing with that is convincing the manager that you were referring to that, that that approach is going to be a high burnout, high turnover. And, you know, that's, that's the sad part. So that's probably a crappy answer, but it's the only one I've got. Well, it's realistic and I appreciate the insight. Thank By you. the way, if the questions continue to be this hard, we may end the question and answer period. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thought, one thought that I had on Don's question is perhaps that's this uh, young person's first sales job is to understand the uh, the principles in the book and approach his boss with the, with the concept, look, um, give me 30 days to prove 
my approach will work. And uh, if not, I'll leave. You got to have a lot of guts to do that. I think you're right, but you got to have a lot of guts to do that, Gary. And, and I, you know, you would hope that that would be the case. I, I always say to, I used to say to sales managers at TV stations, um, you know, if you don't have a plan, they have one, meaning corporate, you know, in other words, one will be imposed on you. Yeah. Uh, but most managers uh, don't have enough guts to even stand up to corporate. So it, it's hard for, it was hard for a new guy to say it. And the sad, I think the saddest thing for me is that that's a guy who's likely to, to ever, never again consider sales as not as, a, as, as something he might be able to make a living at, and that's sad. Well, and do you think that the so-called great resignation may be putting more pressure on managers to try other approaches? I mean, since people just don't have to stay in a situation like that. God, you would hope so. But I actually think there's probably more pressure for command and control and for measuring um activity as opposed to measuring results. There are, there are some enlightened companies and you guys know them and you work with them, you've seen them and the enlightened companies are, are delightful to work with. I'm sure, you know, uh, but Blaine will tell you from, from the seminar business, the training business, that the sinners don't go to church. You know, the, the, the ones who really need it are the ones who probably don't hire Blaine or hire our company or anybody else. They just, they, they they're the ones who unfortunately need it. You're exactly right, because whenever there is a downturn in the economy, one of the first things to go is training. Right. That's when you need training, because you need your people uh, equipped, the ones that you, you have. Um, you know, it, it, uh, let, me, let me ask you this, because, yeah, I ask a bunch of questions, but when I'm trying to work on a conference convention or just an on-site meeting, I'd say 75% of the time, I am talking to a meeting planner or secretary, admin. And so one of the first questions I ask is, well, what are the challenges of the organization? What do what you need help with? And so many times they don't know <laughs> what the, the president or CEO is, is looking yeah. for. What, or, or, what advice do you have there? Um, I have so many friends who are, um, uh, I was one of the founding members of the Million Dollar Speaking Group, which is the larger speaking businesses in the National Speakers Association. So I have a lot of friends who are some of the biggest keynoters in the country. They will not do a, a, a keynote plane unless they've had a C-level discussion. Okay. That's, uh, it's in their contract. Um, it gets scheduled. Um, and they, they just make it a, a condition of the work because at the, um, at the decision-making level, they have answers to those questions. And your, your ability to get, you're going to be rehired because of the impact you have on that C-level person. Um, so if you don't know what their issues are and what their agendas are, you're going to really um, struggle, I think, to be able to craft your message or your conference to really hit it out of the park for what they're accomplishing. So I, I would say, um, I would just say, hey, just to, as, as a matter of policy, uh, every time we do one of these, we absolutely have to have a conversation with the top people. Um, and and that's got to be set up. That's for your protection so that we can do the best job for you as well as for your company. That that sounds great. And, um, but, you know, one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to piss off the gatekeeper. I think, I think if you explain why it's in the best interest of the gatekeeper. Okay. You know, the, the, the reason, and, and I think you just simply say, what we've learned um, is that every time we don't do that, 
we sometimes miss a piece that is so significant that it changes the entire feeling that people have of the conference. And what you really want is this conference to hit a home run. And we want to help you do that. Okay. Is that in the book? <laughs> no, but I, but I think it was pretty, but I think it was, I think it was pretty good actually. So it, it, was, uh, it was really good. So, but Terry said he recorded it and we're probably in the, uh, 50th minute. So you don't even have to listen okay. to me like that. Just go to market 50 and we've got it for you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's good. Okay. Thank you. Hey, are you coming to Nashville in August for NSA? I am uh, not because I've got a, it's actually a July, I think early July. Right? Or, yeah, it is. And, I, and I, uh, I'm on grand, we, I'm taking my grandson to the Yankees Red Sox game. So, uh, so that's my priority that weekend. But yeah, that conference is amazing, and you, you know, just it's, everybody should go. It's fabulous. So, just fabulous. Jim, any other you, questions for Jim? Did Jim have a question, or is that his hand up? Or oh no, that was my thing. So, so let let me ask you this. My question. I have one more question for you, Jim. We have uh, about half a dozen uh, uh, veteran salespeople in the room. What can we do to be of service to you? You've, you've, done, you've done a great presentation. It's been phenomenal today. How can we help you and your business? How can we bring joy to your life? So I'm at a wonderful place in my life that I'm uh, uh, not competing with Blaine anymore, <laughs> not, uh, not doing any conferences. Uh, uh, everything that I do, I'm giving the money to charity. I don't want to build another business. I've done that. Uh, uh, I, I love to have this. I want this book to get out. To more and more people as a way to serve. So anything you can do on social media to promote the, the book to your friends, to family members. And the other area that's uh, uh, interesting that's been fun um, is the message of the book has resonated with nonprofits uh, who are doing development and fundraising. So if you're on the board of a nonprofit or you know an organization, um, you know, you might uh, suggest or I'll, you know, some of you know it and I'll send them a copy of the book. Um, uh, they sort of think of themselves as uh, selling this evil. Um, but um, when you add the idea of a, her a servant heart, uh, so I'm starting to do some work again for free and for fun with some nonprofits around the country to talk about how do you bring the techniques of effective sales organizations into a development and fundraising effort. And so I I'm excited about that because that's just a way for me to give back. So 